Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. Jesus declared that we must worship our Heavenly Father in spirit and in truth. Regrettably, in the world today, there are many forms of false worship. Everything we do in our life is a form of worship. Are you worshiping God based on the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and the Word of God, your Bible? Let's open our Bible now to John chapter 4 and look at this incredible principle of worshiping our Heavenly Father in spirit and in truth. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It's a Monday morning here in Texas. Hopefully y'all are just rocking in Jesus, right? I mean, that's, that's just the meaning of life. It's, it's really the meaning of all life. The reason that we are here on this earth, all 8 billion people are here for Jesus. Now, you can't rock out in Jesus until you know him as your Lord and Savior, until you've come to trust him and rely on him only and completely for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. And, and then once you have received him, once you've acknowledged your, your, your utter sinfulness, your complete helplessness, your complete hopelessness, and you've gone to Jesus and thrown yourself at his feet and humbly asked him to come into your heart and to be the Lord of your life and save you from your sin and to bring you to heaven when you die. Uh, just proclaiming to him your complete and only and total trust and reliance on him alone as your only Lord and Savior. Once you've done that, then, then your life becomes this exciting experience of growing in relationship with not only Jesus, God the Son, but with, but with God the Father. In Jesus Christ, God the Father becomes your heavenly Father, Dustin. Right? In Jesus, God the Son, Jesus is your Lord and Savior, your Master, your King, your Husband. You're the Bride of Christ. You're part of the Body of Christ, this big spiritual body called the Body of Christ. And God, the Holy Spirit, becomes your, your guide, your counselor, your comforter. So we exist for growing an intimate relationship with the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're, they're individual beings. It's not just one being expressing himself in three different ways. Three separate beings. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we get to have relationship with all of them. There's just nothing better than that. In Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, is how we have relationship with the triune God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Wow. All right. We're in John chapter 4, and we are uh, in the middle of the chapter. We're discussing the woman at the well, just incredible teaching. And um, today we're going to try to do 16 to... Hopefully we can get through 26. So I'm going to go ahead and read it and we will pray and we'll get rolling. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, let me pray first. Father, we just thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We love you. We honor you, Father. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you for your mercy on our lives. Father, we thank you for the word of God, the incredible scriptures, Father, 
that you've given us your holy word. Father, above all, we thank you for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, our only Lord and Savior. Lord Jesus, we worship you and thank you. We thank you for becoming a human man for us, living a perfect life for us, dying a perfect death for us. And we praise you and worship you as you are alive and risen, the risen Christ. We worship you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open the word of God. Holy Spirit, we ask for eyes that see and ears that hear. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. John 4, verse 16. You remember Jesus is speaking with the woman at the well. He just, uh, you know, he's just had uh, extremely powerful revelation that he's given her. Um, it's, it's, it's revelation of the kingdom of God and of spiritual blessings and relational blessings with him. Um, the woman is like we do. She, you know, she can only think in the physical and the natural. So she keeps speaking to the natural when Jesus is speaking to the, the far greater spiritual blessings, heavenly blessings. And then we pick up in verse 16, where Jesus says, verse 16, he told her, go call your husband and come back. 17, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Wow. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Look at those words. Verse 26. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. I mean, this is the word of God. These are the scriptures out of Jesus's own mouth. He declared himself to be the Messiah, the savior of the world, the Christ. Okay. Out of his own mouth. If you don't know Jesus today, run to him and give your life to him the way we spoke about earlier. God has given his word, Romans 10, 13, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But you have to go to Jesus you have to acknowledge that you're a sinful person, as the, as the Bible clearly tells us. You have to acknowledge that you're hopeless and helpless, and there's nothing you can do about it. Acknowledge that you believe that Jesus Christ came into the world for you, died on the cross for you, and has been raised from the dead, 
and you humbly ask him to come into your heart, to be the Lord of your life, to save you from your sin, to bring you to heaven when you die, placing all your trust and confidence and faith in Jesus alone. That's how you become a Christian. That's why Jesus entered the world. The lady said, I know that Messiah is coming. It's interesting. She, her theology is correct here. The Old Testament predicted that a Messiah would come. And, you know, you were to put your faith in the word of God in the coming Messiah. You looked forward to the cross. You were saved from your sin. You came into relationship with the triune God, although it was a different kind of relationship because he didn't live in you in the Old Testament. But in the Old Testament, you were, you were saved from your sin by trusting in the word of God. You put your faith in the coming Messiah and the Messiah that would come. You look forward to the cross. In the New Testament, we put our faith in the Messiah, Jesus, who has come. We look back to the cross. So that same cross saves us all. Amazing. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Um, my sister Rachel was uh, was was here, and uh, she's, she's a Singaporean. She's very, very smart young woman. She's a, a professor at a university, and uh, we were talking about these, uh, these incredible truths in the scriptures and just how powerful they are and the, the symmetry and the power of the word of God. My brother Tom, elder of Kingdom Discipleship, likes the this credible symmetry of the Word of God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So, back to verse sixteen. Uh, you again, they've been having a conversation, and Jesus is breaking all cultural etiquette here just by by speaking to a woman, uh, speaking to a woman alone, um, speaking to a Samaritan. We had already talked about that that Jesus. Jesus is not worried about his reputation. Jesus is not worried about how it looks. Jesus is not worried or concerned about their traditions. And Jesus is certainly not prejudiced against her because she is a woman or because she is alone uh, or because she does have a bad reputation. But Jesus is going to, to use this. Now, obviously, he knows because he's going to tell her in the coming verses that she has no husband. We know it when he tells her in verse 16, when he says, go call your husband and come back. He knows because he's going to say two verses later that he's aware that she has no husband. So why does he say this then? Why does Jesus say in verse 16, he told her, go call your husband and come back. Verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. It's interesting. That's the first time he says she's right. You remember the conversation starts with him asking for a drink of water and her reading him the rules, her telling him the rules that, that they don't talk, that we don't associate, that, you know, really you ought not be talking to me. Why are you even talking to me? And uh, Jesus pays no attention to that because that's not right. He tells her that if she knew who she was talking to, she'd asked him for, 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 for living water. She then goes on to tell him, literally, you can't get any, any water for me. You don't even have a bucket. You need what I got, right, Matthew? She's telling him, I got the bucket. How are you going to get me anything? Again, Jesus wasn't speaking about physical water. But again, Jesus pays no attention to that because she's not correct. 
She goes on to tell him, who do you think you are? Are you greater than our father, Jacob, who actually dug this well for us, drank from it himself, as well as his flocks and herds? Amazingly, he doesn't respond to that. He doesn't get offended because, as I said, most of us would have said, yeah, I am greater than your father, Jacob. Matter of fact, I created your father, Jacob. I am your father, Jacob's daddy and his father, Isaac, and his father, Abraham. Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation. I created him. Matter of fact, I created the entire world that your father lives in. Matter of fact, I created the sun and the moon and the universe. He doesn't, he doesn't acknowledge it. He doesn't say any of these things because it's not correct. Here, though, for the first time, he says, you are right when you say you have no husband. Because it's the first correct thing she said. Very interesting. Verse 18. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. So we ask the question, why does he ask her, go call your husband when he knows that she doesn't have a husband? He knows that she's had five husbands and now she's living with a man that is not her husband. So it can only be one of two things. Even she's either she's living with a man she's not married to. The man you have is not your husband or She's with a man that's someone else's husband. And the man you now have is not your husband, meaning she could be with someone else's husband. Either way, she's living in, in unrepentant sin. So we ask the question, why does Jesus say, go call your husband and come back? He's asking her to obviously lead her to this place, and he's confronting her over her sinful lifestyle. That's serious, right? I mean, Jesus, why? That's what he's doing with us as well. What is Jesus asking you today? And what is he asking me, May? What is he asking us? May is my beautiful wife. You know, what's the question he's asking us today? What are the areas of your life and my life? in all of our lives, where Jesus is saying, go call your husband. Now, for you, it's not go call your wife or husband, right? Now, if you are living in, in immorality, right, you're living with someone that's, that's not your wife, or you're living with someone that's married to somebody else, then, yes, Jesus is, is pointing this out, and he expects you to repent. But for the vast majority of us, it's something else. What is it in your life? What is it in my life that Jesus is, is saying to us and confronting us about? Where are the areas we need to examine ourselves? Where are we not living right based on the word of God? You know, for many of us, it, it's, it's about how we use our words. Many of us use our words in, in ungodly ways. And the scripture says that the more we use our words, in ungodly ways, the more we gossip, the more we speak poorly about other people, the more we say things that are untrue. The scripture says in Timothy, the more and more ungodly we will become, that those who indulge in, I believe it says, godless chatter will become more and more ungodly. So what is it? Where is it? Um, like I said, oftentimes in our words, certainly our thoughts are often sinful. 
or in our actions, right? So examine yourself. Where is Jesus saying this? This is not just meant to point out this woman and her flaws. You know, Jesus is clearly calling to her account and he is willing to bring her to her an account for her immoral lifestyle. But again, uh, we want to see where in our lives we need to make corrections. And now also as ministers, we learn something here that, that Jesus is willing to call out sin. You know, he's having a reasonable conversation with her and then he turns it, he skillfully turns the conversation to exactly the, the place of her life that is out of place. We see that, right? Again, why go on and have this entire long conversation and then tell her to go call a husband when she already knows, when he already knows she doesn't have a husband? He already knows that she's had five husbands. She already knows that she's with a man now that's not her husband, meaning could be someone else's husband or just they're, uh, they're living in immorality together and they're not married, which is called fornication. Jesus is willing and knows the need. You heard me say earlier, if we're going to give our lives to Jesus, we first have to acknowledge our sinfulness. The very reason we need a savior is because we're sinful. Because we have lived a sinful life, we need a savior to save us from our sin. Say, it's like if someone has cancer, they're not going to go to the doctor for, for, for healing or treatment unless they know they have it. Someone is not going to run to Jesus as their only savior and hope until they know that they're sinful. So until we know we're sinful, we can't give our lives to Christ for the forgiveness of our sin and the salvation of our soul. Now, once we've done that, as Christians, as disciples, as believers in Jesus Christ, we want to have a lifestyle of, you know, practicing introspection and uh, just self-examination, right, Melanie, and just seeing what are the areas of our life that are out of place and, and genuinely repenting. You want to live your life. I want to live my life in line with the word of God. And the Holy Spirit is living in us. If you're a Christian, the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you and will clearly show you and convict you of the areas of your life that are out of place. And so it's our job as ministers, as teachers, as we see example of Jesus here, to talk about sin. Again, at the beginning, uh, speak about sin for the need of a Savior and salvation. And then as believers of any whatever active sin we have in our lives. It's not until we will, we will speak about it, talk about it, and confront people with it, beginning with ourselves, that then that it'll get in order. And we do live in a culture in the church today where it's getting more and more uncommon to talk about sin, to talk about what's out of place, to talk about where we need to repent as believers for behavior that's that's wrong, right, Rap? I mean, it's uh it's something we don't do well as a church today for the most part. And Father, I I do ask you to forgive us and to help us as as believers. Um just uh just to 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 have a lifestyle of of examining ourselves and not just in the big things but even in the little things that we perceive are little that are out of place whether it be in our thoughts or our words 
or our deeds and, and help us to live a lifestyle of repentance, Father. Lead us and guide us in repentance, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. It's interesting in verse 19. So again, we spoke about how Jesus strategically brings up this thing with her husband, knowing she doesn't have a husband, but, have, but has had five husbands and now is with a man that's not her husband. He's done that strategically to, to confront her about her immoral lifestyle, her sinful lifestyle. But look what the woman says when he says, the fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Verse 19, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. So she gets checked a little bit. Okay, she bon er, puts the brakes on. We talked in previous teachings how she's been a little sassy, right? You know, are you greater than our father, Jacob? You know, she's, she's, she's been confrontational. She puts the brakes on. She, she can tell now that she's speaking. And she says, sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. So she acknowledges by his supernatural understanding of her background, something he never could have known, that she is sent from God and that only God could have revealed that. Now, he, he's immensely more than a prophet. He certainly is a prophet. He certainly is a preacher. He's an evangelist. Uh, he's all those things and infinitely more. Jesus Christ is full blown God Almighty, God the Son. But she doesn't know that yet. He hasn't, he hasn't told her that yet. It was interesting when I was when I was uh, preparing for this, my man, my man Charles Spurgeon said, said of this verse, when she said, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. He said she'd have been better off saying, sir, I can see that I am a sinner. <laughs> That's what she should have said. Instead of saying, I can see you're a prophet, she should have said, sir, I can see I'm a sinner. And we're going to see her continue try to, def to, to deflect, right? Look at verse 20. He's just confronted her on her sinful lifestyle, and she's going to try to skillfully change the, the, the topic, right? Verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So what she does, I confess, I've done and what most of us have done in our lives and continue to do as believers. Instead of being convicted over our sin, instead of acknowledging our sin, instead of saying, sir, I am a sinner. We, 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 we change the subject. We want to talk about other things. We don't want to acknowledge the immoral aspects of our lives, of our thoughts, our words and our deeds. When the Holy Spirit convicts you and convicts me of our sin, the first thing we want to do is to immediately humble ourselves and come into agreement and confess that, I'm sorry, Lord, I ask you to forgive me. Please cleanse me of this unrighteousness and help me to live my life in an upright way, in a, in a right way before you. But... Like this lady, we, we often deflect, right, Scott? We don't, we don't want to go there. When 
Jesus is setting us up, Jesus will so strategically, right, lead us to Christ. He leads many people in many different ways. In this way, he leads her by confrontation and with her conscience. Some people he leads through, you know, through revelation, through understanding, um, uh, through many different ways Christ can draw us to faith in him, to draw us to the understanding of our need of him. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. So she, she, she does acknowledge by him, by Jesus, knowing her past, that, that he's not just a regular man. Jesus knows our past too, and he's not holding it against us. Just any sin you've committed is in the past. And you just want to come to him and just repent over it and ask him to forgive you and get on the right track today. As I said, she goes on to change the subject. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Um, the Samaritans had believed that worship was tied to a place and, you know, they were incorrect. It says the Jews, you know, claim that the place must worship in Jerusalem and Worship was tied to a place, a building, a temple, and all these things. And, and look what Jesus tells her. And this is profound. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Very powerful statement. Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. A time is coming, Jesus said, where it's not going to be about physical location. It's not going to be about mountains and temples and buildings and cities. Not going to have anything to do with that. Verse 22, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. This is, this is powerful. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Now this, this verse 22, John 4.22 is a, is a very clear and undeniable verse. So Jesus, first of all, acknowledges that he is not only completely Jewish, but that, that God did call specifically the Jewish people. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. So the Samaritans trying to made up their own religion. Scholars say that Samaritans only used the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they didn't use the, the rest of the Old Testament when at this time they had a completed Old Testament and the Jewish people used all of it. So when he says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know, we worship what we know. So he is saying very clearly for salvation is from the Jews that God did choose the Jewish nation in the Old Testament, to be his people. He did give them the revelation of who he is. He gave it to Moses, who wrote down the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and then the various prophets throughout the Old Testament, and he revealed himself to this people. Now, even in that Old Testament time, if you weren't Jewish, if you were a Gentile, you could become a Jew and and and, and join Israel, and that opportunity was open to you. But Jesus is acknowledging, number one, that he is Jewish, and that 
the Old Testament is the revelation of God given to the Jewish people, and it is the proper and true revelation of the triune God. And again, we worship what we do know. So you can't get away from it. Jesus is Jewish pearl, and he's saying that the Jewish nation was chosen by God, starting with Abraham, and the revelation of the word of God was given. The entire word of God at this time meant the whole Old Testament. Now, the irony is the Jews got all that correctly, but then they rejected the Messiah, the single most important thing. Obviously, there have been Jewish people that received Jesus as their savior, but the vast majority of Jewish people in this day and even today have not received Jesus. And it's his heart. It's the heart of the triune God that you give your lives to Jesus. Everyone today, if you're Jewish, Jesus is your Jewish savior. If you're not Jewish, if you're Gentile, Jesus is your Jewish savior. Okay. So either way, Jesus Christ gave his life. Now, obviously he's God almighty. And as God, the son, he's not Jewish. He's not anything but full blown God. But as a human man, you know, he was Hebrew. He was Jewish. Okay. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. They did, they, they did not accept the full revelation of the word of God. And we still do that today. Every other religion in the world, every other religion in the world is worshiping what it doesn't know if it's not based on the completed word of God, the Bible. If it's not based on Jesus Christ, like the Samaritans, you're worshiping what you do not know. If it's not based, Dustin, on the plain teaching of the word of God, plain teaching of the son of God, then you're worshiping what you do not know. We've been given the scriptures. That's why we do what we do. So that we, we can worship what we do know. Verse 23. So wherever you are today, if, 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 if you're approaching God and it's not based on the scriptures, the 66 books of the Bible, Old and New Testament, and particularly the new covenant where Jesus Christ comes on the scene, because that's how you get saved. You have to have given your life to the, the savior of the Bible, who's completely revealed in the 27 books of the New Testament, completely revealed in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's where you want to be. That's where we know the truth is in the scriptures. Verse 23. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Wow. What is this about here? Yet a time is coming and has now come. And it has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. How do you do that? How do you worship the Father in spirit and in truth? What does that mean? Okay. Well, to worship the Father in spirit, you have to be one with the Father in spirit. You have to have spiritual life in you to worship the Father in spirit. And when we say worship, 
Yes, one part of worship, the very small part of worship is is going to church or in your car and coming together and doing singing songs and praise and worship when you have a worship team or the singing time at church. That is a part of worship. That's a small part of worship where we we praise him. Now, you can do that anywhere and you should. You can do it anywhere in your home, in your car, literally anywhere you are. If you're awake, you can sing and praise the Lord and honor him. But worship means a lot more than singing, infinitely more than what we do in church when we sing. Worship is everything we do, the choices we make, the thoughts we have, the words we speak, how we live our lives, living for Jesus, loving for Jesus, giving for Jesus, forgiving for Jesus. Worship is coming into an agreement with our heavenly father in spirit, being one with him in spirit and being on the same page as him. Golly. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So in order to worship the Father in spirit, as you see, 24, God is spirit. We've talked about this in the last chapter. Until you become a spiritually alive being, you cannot worship the Father in spirit. You cannot live in harmony with him, thinking about him and walking in step with him, which is worship. You cannot do that until you are spiritually alive yourself. If you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, if you haven't received him as your only Lord and Savior, knowing your desperate need of him, knowing you're hopeless and helpless without him, you cannot worship the Father in spirit. Only in Jesus Christ, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, as we talked about earlier, the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in your spirit becomes one with your spirit, gives spiritual life to your spirit. And now as a spiritually alive spirit, you can worship the Father and everything you do in spirit. You have to have Jesus Christ, the spirit of Christ living in you. And inasmuch, you can then begin to worship the Father in spirit. The true worshipers, true worshipers, that means there's a lot of false worship. Anybody that's not worshiping God the Father in Jesus Christ is false worship. It's only in Jesus Christ, as we said, that you can have true worship because it's only in Jesus that you can worship him in spirit because only in Jesus can you have a spiritually alive spirit, the Holy Spirit, one with your spirit. And now your spirit, one with the Holy Spirit, can worship and have community with the spirit of our Father. Powerful. All right. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Okay, so what does it mean? So we talked about what it means to worship in spirit. To worship in truth simply means to worship according to the word of God. To live your life according to the word of God. To worship and praise him and love him and honor him and repent before him based on the word of God. This is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. Jesus is the truth. Your scripture, your Bible, the 66 books of your Bible are the truth, right? So to worship in truth means to worship based on the revelation of the entire word of God. And I'll say again, particularly the New Testament, where Jesus Christ is unfolded on every page. Wow, pop, right? Golly, it's powerful. So to worship based on the truth, 
to live your life in community with the Father, you first have to be spiritually alive in Christ, and then you worship in spirit based on the truth of the Word of God and the Son of God, the entire revelation of the Scriptures. It's, it's incredible. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. 24, God is spirit. God is spirit. Remember, you're spiritually dead when we enter this world. As human beings, when we enter the world, we come into the world spiritually dead with a nature of sin. And it's only in Jesus Christ that we can get spiritual life, heavenly life. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Help us, Father. Help us, Father, one and all, to more and more worship you in spirit and in truth. It's incredible what the woman says here in verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Again, she's now humbled herself. Jesus is going to reveal herself. You see how once she checks herself in verse 19, she does try to change the subject. But look what she says here. She, she acknowledges now and she kind of humbles herself and says, I know. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. That's true. The Savior's coming. And look what she says. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. My Messiah will teach us. The woman is hurt. The woman has been used up by five men. She's living in a moral lifestyle, but Jesus loves her. He loves her unconditionally. And he loves you and he loves me even when we live sinful lives. He does call us to repentance, but he loves us. He really does. He loves us unconditionally. And he will reveal himself to us. The woman is right. The Bible said a Messiah would come. A Savior would come. And then Jesus says the most incredible words that, that a human being could hear. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. I am the promised Messiah. I am the one the Bible said that would come. I am the Savior, the Christ. Yeah, there's not words. There is not words. Wow. I who speak to you am he. Do you see that? He revealed himself to her there. He told her, I am that Messiah you're looking for. I'm your Savior. And he has been explaining everything to us. Just like Jesus revealed himself to this woman in her sin, he'll reveal himself to you and to me today. Do you know Jesus today? Have you received him as your Lord and Savior that you might worship the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in spirit and in truth? Give your life to him. We've, we've talked about how to do that. If you're already a Christian today, you know, and uh, Jesus Christ is not the priority of your life, Start today to make him a bigger priority. Start today to more and more worship him in every aspect of your lifestyle, spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, relationally. We worship Jesus in everything we do. Make him a bigger priority and, uh, and he will continue to reveal himself to you in deeper and more intimate ways. And there's nothing greater than that. There's nothing greater than knowing Jesus and walking with Jesus in more deep and intimate ways. Father, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. We thank you for the scripture. We thank you for the, the living word of God. 
Father, we thank you for the lessons in the scripture. Father, above all, again, we thank you for Jesus, our Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we worship you and we thank you. We thank you for this incredible encounter. We thank you for giving us your word. Holy Spirit, we ask you to help us to live according to this word today. Help us to give our lives to it, to repent where we've fallen short. Holy Spirit, we worship you and we thank you. We ask you to go ahead of us now, again, giving us eyes that see you and ears that hear you. Open our heart that we might know Jesus better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.